And today I want to draw some truths from the scripture passage that is read to us that that we are going to deal with on what do we do when rulers and leaders and the CEOs demand worship from us or something similar to that talk. There are times in workplaces and in our national life, social life, people who are set above us behave as if they have absolute authority. Some leaders do that. It could be political leaders, it could be uh, executives in our organizations. They sometimes demand from people whom, whose life they control or govern more than loyalty and respect which is due. They behave in such a way that they demand more than loyalty and respect and they behave as if they have right over the life of or they can decide the life and death of the people whom they are supposed to be responsible for. Life under such leadership can be really miserable, can be horrible. For the benefit of those who have read the scripture passage today, Daniel chapter 3, and I hope that number is very minimum, and um, for the sake of refreshing the memory of those who read the passage, I would like to just go through it one more time in a very brief way before I get into the real stuff. The story is about Nebuchadnezzar again. Nebuchadnezzar built a huge statue, image, a very huge image. And it doesn't say what is the image of. From all probabilities, it could be his own image, a statue, and of enormous dimensions for ancient days. It says it's about 60 cubit height, which is, in modern uh, ways, uh, terms, about 90 feet tall, a huge figure of 90 feet. And if you don't know how much is 19, 90 feet, just imagine 15 people standing on my head one after another. And the 15 people of my size, of my height, stacked. How much will be that? So it means it was 16, 15 times bigger than Nebuchadnezzar himself. And then he demands that all the governors and rulers of the various regions that he controlled, he controlled a vast empire, that is, or he was ruling over a vast empire, I told you in a few Sundays back. He calls all the governors and rulers from all this region to assemble in the capital of Babylonian Empire and says that all of them should bow down before this huge image that he has made. 
it's in his way of reinforcing reinforcing his authority over the nations asking them to declare rededicate them uh, to the his his authority and all of them came including the three who were recently promoted after the lions done business and then came in the last chapter shadrach meshach and abednego they all came along with others but these three people who believed in a living god god of the bible the creator of the universe yahweh or jehovah as as you can uh, both is possible they came but they refused they dissented with this decision they refused to bow down before this now the matter was brought to the notice of the emperor and there is a trial and the king puts up a challenge in chapter 3 verses 13 to 18 he questions them why you didn't do that and then he challenges them in verse 15 but if you do not worship you shall immediately be cast they are giving a second chance to pay their obeisances to this this image so he said i'm going to do it again and you better do it but if you do not worship you shall immediately be cast into a burning fiery furnace and the challenge he says in 315 and who is the god who will deliver you out of my hand absolute authority i have authority over your life to decide whether you live or die who is the god there is there a god who will ever deliver you out of my hand because i am the supreme authority these three young men answered to him answered the king saying verses 316 to 18 shadrak meshak and abednego answered and said to the king o nebuchadnezzar we have no need to answer you in this matter if the is be so our god whom we serve is able if this be so if you are going to throw us into the fiery furnace our god whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will not he will deliver us out of your hand o king but if not be it known to you o king that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up they expressed their faith what is their faith they have a faith in the fact that their faith is that god will deliver them from the hands of nebuchadnezzar but the nebuchadnezzar is going to throw them into a fiery furnace but their faith is god will deliver them but that is not the faith not like the exact faith they say that he will deliver but even if he won't deliver we will still not worship you so what was their faith the kernel of their faith the crux of their faith the crux of their faith was not in deliverance it's only one aspect of it whether he deliver or not he will deliver in case he will not deliver 
still we are not going to worship. It is a non-negotiable thing. For their faith has a non-negotiable aspect of it, to it. What is the non-negotiable aspect? We will not worship anyone other than Yahweh, the God of Israel, the living God. Whether he deliver us or not is not an issue. But we believe he will deliver. Now that is the faith of these three people. Then, so they get an opportunity, the trial, the punishment, and the humiliation, and all that, and the arrest, and all that for them is an opportunity to witness to their faith. Their adversity has turned into, or they turned their adversity into an opportunity to witness. And not only them, you read the Bible carefully. Follow a reading plan. If you look at the Bible, when we come to the New Testament, you see the life of the apostles, particularly of Paul, Stephen, Peter. They all had problems in their life. They were all brought before the court. They were all tried. They were all interrogated. What did Peter say when he was brought before Sanhedrin? He witnessed to his faith in God. He said, I will follow, I will preach about the risen Jesus Christ. That is non-negotiable. What did Stephen say? When they were about to throw, stone him to death, the same thing. He told the story of the Israel's history and said, you are a stiff-necked people. You need to repent. They stoned him to death. But for him, it was an opportunity to witness. And more than one occasion, St. Paul was brought before jailers, before magistrates, before rulers, and finally before his death, before Caesar, the Roman emperor, probably. But in all that circumstances, Peter, Paul, Stephen, and many others, beginning with them, all down through the century, they witnessed to their faith, the non-negotiable fact of their faith. That is, there is a God, we serve God and none else. In our life too, there may be opportunities that or every adversity can be turned into this and say, whether God delivered me or not, whether God heals me or not, whether God does it or not, I will not worship anyone other than the God whom I serve. Your life will throw up many, many opportunities like that. Where people behave as if I can decide your life, whether you live or die. There has to be courage and that courage has to come from your faith in your God. Nowhere else. Let me move on. Now the punishment happens. The Nebuchadnezzar ordered that these people must be thrown into the fiery furnace, which was overheated seven times. If the temperature of the furnace was 100 degrees Celsius, now it is 700 degrees Celsius. And the story provides us the proof also. That is, those who bound them 
and took them to the furnace. By the time they reached near the furnace, they were consumed with fire. The people who bound them and took them to the furnace, they were all consumed. They all perished. And now, to make the matters worse, the three people are dressed in their clothes. And the scripture says very clearly, also they put the cap on them. They were wearing their turbans, they were wearing their clothes, that is they were fully attired in flammable material. They were thrown into the fire. Definitely the dress will catch fire, the turban will catch fire and in, besides the fire that is all around them, this, will, this means sure death. The story resolves differently. Though you know that. You have read it. And Rabukadnezar was distressed. And he went back, back again to the furnace. To see it has a door. And they went to the door of the furnace. And what did he see there? Daniel 3, 24-25. The king Nebuchadnezzar, then Nebuchadnezzar, king Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound in the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king, three men. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound. Not, the, not that the, 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 the whatever is they are bound with, the ropes are burnt. No, they are unbound. Walking in the midst of the fire, and they are alive. They are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. What he mean by that is these people are not consumed by the furnace that is heated 700 times. Even the surroundings of the furnace is so hot that the people bound, who bound him, bound them, were consumed as they approached it. Now these people are dressed in all these flammable clothes, but they are unheard. And they are walking in the furnace, in the fire. Though the flame, the, the tongues of the flame are licking their body, they are not consumed. But to add to all this surprise, there is a fourth person and it looked like a divine being. That's what in King's language he said, look like one of the sons of gods. Means a divine being, an angel or something like that. We don't know what's What's the angel doing there? But one thing is clear in all this. God has sent them an additional help in the fire. That's an amazing thing. The most important thing, one of the most important things of this passage is that in the fire, God did not simply protect them. But God also sent his help from heaven in the fire. They are not alone. But this is a very, very encouraging fact. An encouraging truth. That is, when a believer, a Christ follower, is in a struggle against authorities that demand worship, systems that humble us, a believer in Christ, a follower of Christ, should always believe 
that there is additional help available. Amen. I believe that. I believe that in my struggles, in my fight against ungodly authorities or systems that try to enslave me, I am not alone. I am given extra additional help from heaven. Now that's the story. But the climax of the story is in the hymn of Nebuchadnezzar. The story has a climax. And that is the hymn that Nebuchadnezzar composed or sang in the hearing of others. Chapter 3 verses 26 to 30. The king says, let me read it to you. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near the door of the furnace, fiery furnace. Sorry, that's not the scripture passage. Blessed be, and Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship God except their own. Therefore I make a decree, any people, nation or language that speaks anything against sorry, that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted the three. This has, the climax of the story put in a hymn form has three components. One, Nebuchadnezzar, the pagan king, praises God. Second, he commands, commends, commends or appreciates, simple language, the three people. I'll come to that in a minute. And then there is a command or a decree that the whole empire, people of the whole empire should worship this God who delivered him, them, and no other God. That's where the story ends. I just want to focus on two things today. Maybe two or three. First of all, this story tells us something about why we should stand against or should not worship idols. The faith of these three people was shaped on two commands of God the living God that we find in the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 20 verse 3 says, You shall not have, you shall have no other gods before me. There should be no God. Your God is one. And I am that God. There should be no other God. God's exclusive claim and second is a related command. And it says, You shall not make for yourself a carved 
image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in water or under earth. Simply put, it simply means that you should not make a image of anything that I created, of any creatures in the sky that flies, that swarms, or that is in the water. From anywhere, no animal, no creature, no image of any creature should be made, only God should be worshipped, who is invisible, immortal, and, invis uh, uh, and powerful, sovereign. God is invisible. God is spirit. So he says, no, God who is spirit, God is, is invisible. We should not, you should not make any visible image of that God to worship. And that's their, the faith that, and this faith is not simply stated like that. What is wrong with it? What is wrong with idolatry? What is wrong with worshipping idols? There are two problems that we see. First of all, why idols should not be worshipped? One, it's actually exchanging the glory of God. That is, you take the glory that belongs to this living God and you ascribe that glory and greatness and power to something lesser, something God has created. Those who create, those who worship a snake, what are they doing? They take the glory of the creator and ascribe it, give it to something that he has created. They are giving, they are exchanging the glory of the creator with that of the creature. Romans chapter 1, verse 22 to 23, Saint Paul puts it this way, claiming to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God, God who will never die, for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. God who is invisible, God who is immortal, they took his glory and gave to some animal, some creature whom God created and who will die within a short span of time. That is why idolatry is wrong. First of all, God is invisible, so in his spirit you cannot give him a visible form. Number one. Number two, by doing that, by worshipping an idol made after the image of anything that God created is actually taking the glory of God, making the God devoid of his glory, his inherent glory, the nature, his, his inherent nature, and taking that, depriving him of that, and giving it to a lesser being whom God created and who will die when he commands as well. That's, the, that's why Bible is against idolatry. First problem. Second thing is 
it is also a dehumanization. Simply put, idolatry has a very low view of the human beings. When I worship a snake or a rat or something else, a bird, when I worship a created thing, a creature, an animal, what I am doing is that I am dehumanizing myself. I consider myself less dignified than that animal whom I worship. Idolatry is wrong because it has a low view of human worth and human dignity. We suggest that I am lesser than the animal I am worshipping or that idol that has no mouth but it cannot speak. You sh that is why idolatry is wrong. But man, human beings have a higher dignity. That is what Psalm 8 says. Psalm 8 verse 5, to fo five following says, You have made him a little lower, human beings little lower than the heavenly beings. And crown him, who is that? Human beings, all of us. And crowned us with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. All the animals in this world. You have put all things under him. All sheep, all oxen, that means all domestic animals. And also the beasts of the field, the wild animals, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea. Whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, how majestic is your name. God has created human beings as the crown of the creation. We have a dignity, God-given dignity. The only thing that God created in his image and in his likeness, they are, are the human beings, male and female. So everyone, anyone who worship bow down before an image of an animal or something, an object that God has created is actually take, depriving himself of the dignity that God has given to him or to her. Two mistakes. One, we make God less dignified. The God we find in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 following. Who is that? The creator of the universe. Who by six days created all the animals of this world and the, of the air, of the sea, and of the land. And who in chapter 2, or towards the end of the sixth day, creation in chapter 2 particularly, verse 4 onwards, the one who created human beings in his own likeness and in his image, and whose dignity he has given us with this human great dignity that comes from God. Now that's why these three young men said, we will not bow down before a idol you created. You are the emperor, I accept that. You have right to kill us, but we will never, never worship what you have created. I hope it's clear. Now, what do you do then? If this is your faith, then what do you do with your faith when your faith is challenged? When a ruler demands that he should worship him or his image 
or an image that he has created? In Nebuchadnezzar's word, this people's response, a godly response in such situations has two sides. One is the choice you make and what you do. A godly response of a person whose faith is shaped by their faith in a creator God who created all that we see and all that we don't see also plus who created human beings with his dignity in his likeness and in his image that faith when it is challenged has two aspects the response the godly response one is the choice you make the other is the action you follow king nebuchadnezzar let me bring it read it again chapter 3 verse 28 nebuchadnezzar answered and said blessed be the god of shadrach meshach and abednego who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted him and set aside the king's command so what did they do what they did is summarized here god delivered them that is god's part but what was the part of the three young men they trusted him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god first is their choice what to do what should be decide they chose not to worship they chose to yield up or give up surrender their bodies for whatever the king want to do the king can do whatever the king want to do their choice was not to worship god any god other than or any image other than yahweh or the living god not to worship but willing to die they made a choice between life and worship there is a choice of life and worship that is why they said our god will deliver but they said in case he won't deliver we don't care that's what they said i read that passage a minute ago our god will certainly deliver us from you but if we don't deliver still we will not worship it's a non it's a non negotiable idea it cannot be negotiated whom to worship that's settled that matter is settled forever now the issue is live or die that is also fine because we at any cost no cost we will worship so that was the choice they made second their action nebuchadnezzar said they trusted god and in his language he says they set aside the king's command two aspects one is dissent dissent is a right everyone has a right to dissent what is dissent disagree now that is what we are now fighting for in india now my right to dissent now that is why people are in the streets now you can take action but i don't agree with it i have a different take on it so every citizen in every democracy 
has the right to dissent. But revolt is a different issue. I can disagree with that. Now, what they do is use this, they use their right to dissent. They said, King, wonderful, but you are asking us to demand, demanding from us worship, but we disagree, we dissent, we won't. Our nation came into being because thousands and lakhs of people descended with the colonial rulers. At about 100 years, almost 100 years of non-violent opposition of the colonial rule. That is why in 1947 we became a nation through dissent, political dissent. Everyone has a right for that. Now what they did is they made a choice. Life or worship. Live or bow down. They made a choice. No bowing down. That's done. Now what's the action? Action is this. We dissent the ungodly demands of the ruler. Now what do you do then? Trust God. Life or death? Whatever God ordains, we'll take that. Whether we live or die, whether we come out unharmed or we are roasted in this fire, we don't care. We'll take the decision that we will trust God. Now my question is, will this be a, if we are, we come to that position, situation, will we do that? The history of Christianity, the Christian faith, is a, is a history of such brave men and women. Even in modern days. In Iran and Iraq and various other places where Christians are persecuted, this is the decision they have to make. Live in this village or leave the village. In North India, in many parts of India, I do not just exclude other parts of India. In North India, sorry, in, in the rural India, the choice would be whether you would draw water from this well or not. Because this is only for us. You have left the religion of our fathers and our mothers. So you are no more our community. You cannot use public roads. You cannot draw water from this. Because of faith, they have to say, refusing to bow down to the village idols. People have chosen to walk miles and collect water from distant places. <coughs> Live or die. That's issue. I know women married after marriage. They, they came to Christ. But the choice became, uh, was see, uh, live in marriage with me, unbelieving husband, or leave. They had to choose. Trust God or husband. They chose God. And there are hundreds of stories from all over the place. And for such stories, you don't have to travel miles. It's right there at your doorstep. At my doorstep. In my neighborhood. In our own country. 
Sometimes choice comes. When in your workplace to be more practical. When you have to take a side with an ungodly decision of your ruler, your leader, your president, your CEO, your MD, whatever it is, or even a team leader, or a manager in supervision of your department, the choice will come. And the choice we have to make is whether you fear God or not. Fear God. Never any human beings. There are two things. Worship and respect. The word of God commands from us that we should respect everybody. Even little children. To our authorities. Respect everybody. Be loyalty towards those who deserve it. But worship God alone. Not only worship. Fear God alone. That choice is a hard choice. But it comes naturally for who are founded in that faith in a living God. Let me repeat what I said. That choice comes naturally. What is naturally? It doesn't have to be forced. It doesn't have to be extracted from you. It's a natural choice that happens. When people demand, frighten us, and behave as if they have right over our life. They can decide whether I have a job tomorrow or not. And when they demand us to do ungodly things, stand firm in the word and make a choice. It's a choice between life. Sometimes it will be a choice between life and whom you serve, whom you worship. Let me conclude with the verse here. Proverbs 29-25 Summarizes the whole sermon in a beautiful way. Proverbs 29-25 The fear of man lays a snare. But whoever trusts in God, in the Lord, is safe. Whole of Daniel 3 is summarized there. The fear of man lays a snare. Your bows will try to subjugate you, frighten you, and demand whatever he wants from you. Your company may do that, but that will become a snare forever. But whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. I hope this will be. This will be of help to you and to me and you and all of us. When we face trials in our life and when we have to choose whom to serve. When we are frightened by the circumstances and when people try to frighten us, we have to know we are called not to fear. It is not a spirit of meekness that we have received. It is not. One of courage, boldness. And we worship none, fear none, only God. Fear of man is a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. And finally, and that brings glory to God. That is what happens in this story. Finally, I told you that is a climax. Climax of the story is the hymn that Nebuchadnezzar said. Praising God 
and commending, appreciating, congratulating these three young men. And then finally, a decree to the whole empire. That is, this God is the true God. No one worship any other God. What is the chief end of man? I have repeated it many times. The shorter Westminster Catechism where it summarizes Christian faith in a nutshell. In, in, uh, in the form of questions and answers. It says, the chief purpose of man is to glorify God. Please try to memorize it. The chief purpose, I am just substituting end as an old English. Chief end of man is to glorify God and he says, enjoy him forever. That's the purpose and that's the call we have received. May God bless us.